Mark chapter 9. I don't have a specifically Easter type of sermon this morning. Uh, since we are in Mark and we have kind of a, a timeline that we're going through, I don't want to jump around. But yet we do see Easter or Resurrection Sunday in its seed form in this passage. Uh, so let us read Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the transfiguration... Jesus brought his disciples up a high mountain to see his glory. They were given a foretaste of heaven. But when they came down from this mountaintop experience, they were immediately hit with reality. They go from seeing a glimpse of the glory that awaits them, standing in the light of Christ, to a dark place, which we call the world. They go from light to darkness, from the mountain to the valley. Now, this is similar to our own experience as Christians, isn't it? We come to church on the Lord's Day, we get a taste of heaven, but come Monday, we face the harsh realities of the world. After coming down the mountain, the first thing they saw and heard was a great crowd around the disciples and the scribes arguing with them. Jesus went from sweet conversations with two glorified saints, Moses and Elijah, 
to an argument. Peter, James, and John went from hearing the voice of God to hearing the voice of the scribes in an argument with the nine disciples. They went from a solemn heavenly experience to confusion, similar to when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after talking with God and found the people in confusion and idolatry. But this is the nature of our world, isn't it? It is full of unrest and confusion. It is full of darkness, idolatry, and anger. Jesus is showing his disciples that before we get to glory, we must go through trials and testing, and this world is full of it. But there is more going on here than just what is common to all of us in the world. There was a spiritual battle going on. It says, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. I'm not sure why they were amazed. Jesus' face may have been still glowing from the transfiguration as he came down the mountain, uh, reminiscent of Moses, and his face after he came down from Mount Sinai. It says, and they ran up to him and greeted him, and Jesus, coming to his disciples' defense, asked these bullies, the scribes, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd, who was not a scribe, interjects and answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Here the problem is presented. In the midst of all this commotion, in the midst of a fallen world, the demonic world rears its ugly head. Uh, Some have dismissed this spiritual account with a a natural explanation that this was just another case of epilepsy. Epilepsy is a, a disorder which causes seizures. It may have been epilepsy, and the demon was just using his illness against him as uh, Satan is known to do. But as we read on, we'll see that it was much more than that. And something that this man realized, and something that we all ought to be reminded of, is that when faced with such evil, we cannot overcome the powers of darkness out of our own strength. We do not have that kind of power. So what we'll see here is that Jesus will seek to answer the question, what or who do we rely on when we are faced with such evil? Where do we turn? Who is our strength and our refuge in this dark world where the devil roams as if it is his playground? We will see the need of faith the fight of faith, and a dependable Savior as he makes his presence known throughout this passage. But before the Lord identifies the solution to this problem, he identifies what the problem is. On the one hand, the problem is indeed demonic. But on the other hand, there is another problem. There is a human problem. There is a lack In humanity, there is a lack of God. And so this means there is a lack of faith in God. First, we see the need of light in this dark world. There is a need of faith. 
the man continues by telling Jesus that he sought for help. Jesus wasn't around. He was on the mountain. So this helpless father goes to Jesus' disciples, expecting them to be of great faith and able to cast out this demon. He told Jesus, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Why? Why were they not able? Weren't these the same disciples who were called and sent by Jesus to proclaim the gospel, cast out demons, and heal the sick? It seems they they were lacking something, or better, they were lacking someone. They may have been trusting in something or someone else. They were most likely trusting in their past achievements, thinking that they could repeat what they did before, even if it was without Jesus. They thought that they could recycle and reuse his power that was once given to them whenever they wanted to. Jesus wasn't there with them, so out of self-confidence and in their own strength, they were trying to prove themselves without being sent. The constant problem, as we will see with the disciples, is that they were always trying to elevate themselves. They relied on their own strength instead of relying on the strength and the power of God. But this is not just a problem for the disciples. This is a human problem. It is the problem of an entire generation, of every generation. We believe and rely on human strength to get things done. And what happens? It usually comes to nothing. Like the famous psalm says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So he identifies the problem here with such disappointment. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus was expressing his desire to be home in heaven with his Father because he was surrounded by faithlessness. And this was the problem that the Lord repeatedly rebuked Israel for throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Jeremiah. And as we have seen, not much has changed, even today, in our time. It's true that the disciples in themselves did not have the power to cast out a demon. No one has that power. Only God has that kind of power. But the problem was that the disciples were not just humans who lacked power and could not cast out this demon. The problem was unbelief. And it wasn't just the unbelief of the disciples. It was the unbelief of all those around Jesus. They all lacked faith in the power of God. So the scenery is rather bleak and dark. There is weakness and misery There is a boy possessed and a father who is in distress over his son's condition. There are disciples who are unable to grant relief. And everyone around Jesus lacked trust in him and his power. Sounds like the mess of the world that we live in today, doesn't it? Jesus had spent all this time showing them what he could do and who he is Yet they did not believe in him 
and His power. This is a, a, a testimony for us, isn't it? That when we are faced with so much trials, so much temptation, but we see time and time again God's faithfulness to us, and yet how often we lose trust in Him. How often? Because this text has less to do with the strength or power of someone's personal faith and more to do with the object of our faith. Remember, faith looks outside of ourselves to an object. What is the object of your faith? If anything, this text shows us how dependent we are on Jesus, even if we don't acknowledge it. Who do you depend on? Uh, Unbelievers do not realize the fact that their next breath is dependent on God. And for the disciples such as ourselves, Jesus plainly tells us that apart from Him, we can do nothing. All of our work as Christians depends on the Lord or we are working in vain. Even when we're in the midst of conflict, whenever we try to unburden ourselves without going to Jesus first, the burden always seems so much heavier. Even when we are in a personal conflict or say in an argument with someone else, if we do not take the problem to the Lord and view that person as the Lord views that person, there will never be any resolve. Because it means we are hardening ourselves against God and against His wisdom and guidance. Without the Lord, we can do nothing that will bear good fruit. We depend on the presence and power of Christ for all things. And for Christians today, we are to be comforted by the fact that Jesus is always present with us. That is why he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us, and to grant us faith to believe. And out of a burden for this young boy, again, Jesus is moved to help and he shows compassion. He tells the man to bring the boy to him. And in the midst of faithlessness, we see the faithfulness of Jesus. We see the faithfulness of Jesus in the midst of of faithlessness. And here we see a glimmer of faith. Faith is found in the action of this father who comes to Jesus and brings his son to the Savior to be healed. And as they brought the boy to him, the evil spirit saw Jesus. What was the reaction? This is to contrast the spirit's reaction to the disciples. The disciples didn't move the evil spirit one bit. The evil spirit was unfazed by the presence of the disciples. But when the demons saw Jesus and knew it was in the presence of the Lord, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. 
The demon was thrown into a panic because it knew its time was limited. The Lord of all creation, the Lord who created this demon, was standing before him as if it was judgment day already. Here we see that the Lord has dominion and dominance over his creation. This is what we need to know as disciples. This is what we need to rely on as disciples when we are faced with such evil. Is that the Lord Jesus is present. And he has dominion over all things. He is in control. Secondly, in this man, and in every Christian, there is a fight of faith. There is a fight of faith for faith in this dark world. For the believer, there is constant turmoil in the heart as we are surrounded by turmoil in the world. We are hemmed in on every side by conflict. Conflict is all around us. Ask anyone, who here is not in conflict? We see conflict all over the world. We see wars raging all over the world. And that war begins in us. And notice for how long it was for this boy and this father. As the boy was convulsing and foaming out the mouth, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. This goes to show that Satan doesn't wait for the age of accountability to attack our children. So this means that Jesus doesn't wait till the age of accountability to save them. But that's a discussion for another day. But here we learn that we are to bring our children before the Lord From the moment of conception. Because Satan only seeks to destroy. And he begins at a very early age. He wants to destroy all of mankind. Because he is jealous of man. He is jealous that God made us in his image. And he has promised us eternal glory with Jesus in heaven. And this worker of Satan sought to destroy this boy. But notice how diabolical it was as it was from childhood. This demon was enjoying and taking its sweet time in this boy's body and soul wreaking havoc. As it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. That's the only purpose of the demonic forces that be, and it is to destroy. This is what we are witnessing today in our world. Absolute destruction. Not just physically, but also spiritually and ideologically. There are ideas seeking to destroy men and women who seek to serve the one true and living God. There are ideas seeking to lead the Christian disciple away from God. In the Garden of Eden, Satan sought to destroy man. And here, he is at it again. But we know the truth. And the truth is, is that God is the only one who is able to destroy. Truly. In that sense, Satan is just imitating God or he's just seeking to replace God. 
Because just like God, Satan promised to give life. A superficial life. A sinful life. Like when he promised Jesus to give him all the kingdoms of the world right now if he would bow and worship him. But God is the only one who can truly give life. And to save us from hell and the grips of Satan. This is what Jesus would demonstrate. So in the face of an unbeatable opponent, an opponent that we all face at some point in this world, this man who represents every Christian pleads with Jesus in a form of a prayer. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is a demonstration of true faith. Knowing that Jesus is the only one who can help. But also, it is a faith in conflict. It is a faith in conflict. Jesus would respond by repeating what he just said. If you can. A better way of understanding what he is saying is, Indeed, you're absolutely right I can, and I will put your doubts to rest. Why? All things are possible for one who believes. Believes in what? Believes in Jesus and in his power. Because this passage must be read in light of the rest of scripture. Because Jesus is not saying that we can actually get whatever we want with faith. Right? Uh, There are those who manipulate to get what they want using demonic powers and we call that witchcraft. And also, many read this passage and interpret it to mean that anything we think or visualize, we can make it happen. If we just believe. You think of uh, celebrity motivational speakers, right? Just think positively. And we could just speak things into existence. If we want world peace, all we need to do is believe. If we want to be rich and successful, all we need to do is believe. If we want to be healed of our sicknesses and diseases, all we need to do is believe. And claim your healing in the name of Jesus. And if you're not healed, and if you're not successful, and if there is no world peace, or peace in our own lives, then we must have been doing something wrong. Or we didn't have enough faith. Or we didn't believe enough. Or we didn't pray hard enough. This is how many faith healers have misled Christians, millions of Christians today. And they missed two important points of what Jesus and all of Scripture testifies to. First, God. And second, His will. They missed the object of our faith. All things are possible for one who believes. Believes in what? Or or better, who? The object of the one who believes is God. And we know what is impossible for man is possible with God. If he wills it. As John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that is God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, Notice he didn't say he answers us. All things 
are possible for one who believes in God. And the one who believes in God will also receive whatever he has for us. Because all things are left up to God and not our faith. We are not wizards like Harry Potter, right? With a wave of a wand, uh, we can just make things happen. And I've said this before, God is not a genie in the bottle uh, who grants us three wishes. He's far much more than that. God answers prayer according to His will. This is about trusting the Lord with the outcome of whatever we ask for. Because sometimes He may say no to what we ask for. And don't listen to the celebrities and the popular talk. Faith is not all you need. Faith is not all you need. You need faith In God. All you need is God. I know that's hard to hear. Especially because life is hard. Life has many struggles. And all we need is God seems simplistic. But think that we have the privilege. To go before the God who controls everything. The God who has everything under His control, even the minor details of our lives are under His control. But we confess that more times than not, we have a weak faith. We have a weak faith. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is an example of the conflict that is in every Christian's heart. Faith and unbelief are mixed in every believer's heart because we are not perfect yet. This is the fight that is in every heart and we struggle. We struggle with our faith. That's the first thing we must confess to the Lord. Unbelief is always nearby and many of us struggle with whether or not we truly believe or or whether or not we believe enough to save us. Not realizing that it is not the amount of faith. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us. But it is the God of our faith that saves us. And he receives our little faith. He not only told Jesus that he believes, but he also confesses how at the same time he finds unbelief in himself. When Jesus said, Oh, faithless generation, this man thought of himself. He said, Yes, that is me. Can we confess that? And the reality is that our faith in this world will always fluctuate, it is up and down. One day it increases, the next day it diminishes. One day it is strong, the next day it's not. Sometimes it feels as though our faith is gone. Uh, There was a fellow student that I went to seminary with. Uh, He was from Alabama. I'm not going to try to impersonate the accent. But he was talking about his future ministry. And he said, I need a session of elders who will support me when I show up to a meeting one day And tell them, I just don't believe in God today. 
Some of us laughed um, because in our self-righteousness, we thought Christians can't say that or a pastor can't say that. But what he was saying is what this man was saying here. I believe. Help my unbelief. There are days we wake up where we feel as though our faith is gone. Can we confess that? Or have we bought the lie that having faith is an easy road? Easy believism. Just believe. That's all you need to do. Just believe. But those who say that ignore the fight of faith. There is a fight when you believe. There is a battle. But notice, the man wasn't satisfied with the weakness of his faith. He wasn't ready to accept his weak faith. He was in the fight of faith for faith, fighting the doubts that he had. As J.C. Ryle says, and I'm paraphrasing here, we are to use the little faith we have and pray against the lack of faith we have. We are to take our unbelief to Christ and ask Him to help us to believe. We are to ask for help. Notice, throughout all of this, who is silent? His disciples. His disciples were silent. They didn't ask for help in the midst of all of their failure. They just failed to cast out a demon. And Jesus gave the diagnosis that it was unbelief. And yet they didn't say a peep. All you hear is the voice of this one man asking for help. And today, he has given us help. He has given us help. He has given us his spirit. As he promised to always be with us. He is present right here in our midst, isn't he? He has given us the ordinary means of grace to increase our faith. He has given us his word, as Paul tells us, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He has given us the sacraments, baptism and especially the Lord's Supper, as we will celebrate today, where we hear the words of institution, then see Touch and taste the gospel by faith. And mind you, the Lord's Supper is not just a memorial. It is not just remembering Jesus. Christ is present in the Lord's Supper. And He spiritually feeds us and nourishes us and increases our faith. And we are actually communing with Him in heaven, spiritually. It is not just a memorial. And He has given us the privilege of prayer as we bring our needs before Him. See, we were made to be immersed in these things during our pilgrimage in this dark world on the way home. Whenever I hear someone say that they are struggling in their faith or they feel as though they are not growing in their faith, I ask them, are you attending the ordinary means of grace? The word, the sacraments, the prayer. Are you a member of a church and are you attending faithfully? 
Because that is the first advice I'm going to give. Outside of that, it's hard to help anyone. These are the means that God has provided for us to grow. They are used as a light to our path and a means to build us up in our faith. And notice for those of us who have been away from it, it feels as though we are spiritually drained. This is why we ought to have a heart for those who are shut in. And that we may bring either Jesus to them or bring them to Jesus. Here, in the fellowship of the saints. Thirdly, this man's plea is answered. Even though he has a weak faith, Jesus responds. He he doesn't wait till this man gets to a higher level of faith before he responds. He responds to his weak faith. And Jesus proves to be a dependable savior. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So Jesus has authority over this demon. He commands the demon. And the demon had no other choice but to obey. He commands the spirit to come out of him for good. Meaning this spirit is not going to gather seven other spirits more evil than itself in return. No, he is gone. This boy was just liberated completely from this demon. Jesus saved him from Satan's power and grip. Also, we see that Jesus has power and dominion over life and death. The demon left him so violently that it left him lifeless. Most thought he was dead. Was he? Uh, Commentators agree and disagree on this, but I would lean toward yes, he was dead. Because when Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, the wording that is used is the same wording used For resurrection from the dead. He resurrected him. And he arose. This was a hint to those around him. For what was to come. For all of God's people. And it was a hint. To what was to come for Jesus. Jesus said. I am the resurrection. And the life. And I give them eternal life. He gave this boy true life, free from the devil's clutches, for he is a dependable Savior. Hopefully this would have reminded his disciples about who is in charge and who they are to rely on when facing evil spirits. So who is it that we turn to in this evil world when all seems hopeless or when death is knocking at our door, or when demonic forces seek to overcome the church. Listen to what he says to his disciples when he had entered the house possibly of a local Jew who opened up his home to him. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. 
this response would imply that his disciples were not trusting in God or relying on his power, but their own. Because prayerlessness is evidence of unbelief. Prayerlessness is evidence of unbelief. Remember, prayer is an ordinary means of grace that God has given us to grow our faith. It is vital for the Christian life. As Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And we have all heard that phrase that is often used, and that is never underestimate the power of prayer. Now this is taken from when James says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. But that phrase, power of prayer, is nowhere found in the Bible. And it is actually ironic because prayer is an act of humility, not power. The act itself is not powerful. We are not demonstrating power and strength when we pray. When we pray, we are demonstrating a posture of weakness. We are confessing to God that we are weak human beings, incapable of doing anything without Him. So the father of the boy got the idea. He came to Him in weakness. We are confessing that we are incapable of casting out any demon or solving any of our problems. But also prayer demonstrates trust. It demonstrates trust. We are trusting God with the results. It means to plead with God, I believe, help my unbelief. As Sinclair Ferguson has said, and I'm paraphrasing here, faith is man in his weakness, trusting God's promise in his word. This entire passage has to do with us putting our trust and reliance on God. It is about depending on God with all of the outcomes of our lives. And prayer is evidence of both dependence and trust in God. And Jesus has promised He has promised to give us life, to resurrect us to newness of life like he did for this boy. And he accomplished this in his greatest moment of weakness when he died on the cross for our sins. What seemed like weakness to the world was the strength and power of God on display. Especially when Jesus, three days later, would rise victorious and be lifted up from the grave, as we remember today. So one important thing we can learn from all of this is that men will let us down and we will break promises in our lives. But God doesn't break His promises. So who are you depending on for life? Who are you relying on? Can you confess your weakness to God and ask Him to help? Ask Him to save you today. Amen.